some damage to this uh, for a lot of people. It's hard to believe that we're coming up on almost two years since uh, everything started happening, but we're, we're getting close to there. And it got a lot of people out of the habit of meeting together. And it's something that we have to correct. More than ever, we need to meet together to worship the Lord. We need to do that. If you want to run the race well, you need to be here to be encouraged and to encourage others. I'm excited for our life group book this year, which, by the way, our life group books are up here in this box. They're blue. They're entitled Corporate Worship. They are $10. You can drop money off in there. You can grab the book. If you don't have money on you today, you can go ahead and grab it um, and take that. But I'm excited about this because we're going to take a look together at Corporate Worship, which is what we do together when we gather, um, why that is important. And I think it's going to be a huge encouragement for us, and I highly recommend you join a life group if you're not a part of one. Uh, join at least for this coming semester and join the discussion and the reading about corporate worship and, and why and why we gather and, and what we do when we gather. So grab one of those books today. Uh, our life groups are going to be starting in probably about two or three weeks. And if you're not in one, you can talk to myself or Pastor Mike. He's not here today but we will get you connected with life group. So for the first thing we looked at last time in Hebrews 12 here was that great cloud of witnesses. Secondly, we looked at laying aside every encumbrance, things that may not necessarily be sin, but things that weigh us down and distract us from running our race well. And that's going to be different things for each of us. Uh, we need to recognize them, take stock of our our lives, our families, and we need to recognize those things and cast them off if they are hindering our race. Uh, I shared last time a, a comparison of running a race while carrying a 100-pound sack of flour. You, you don't want to run a race while you're carrying a sack of flour. <coughs> you, you're not going to be successful. So we've been told to cast off unnecessary weights and burdens, so we need to ask ourselves, really, the question I posed was, does this thing help me run, or does it get in my way. And then, of course, we talked about sin and how it entangles us and how it puts us in chains. And church, if we want to run the race well, we can't be stuck in sin. You need to repent and turn from it and confess it. And my encouragement was not to just be someone who fears the punishment, but to be one who is broken over and hates your own sin. So if you're tangled up in that, I encourage you this morning, um, turn from your sin, repent, and ask the Lord to give you godly sorrow over your sin so that you can turn from it. Because you can't run the race that God has set before you while you're locked up in the chains of sin. And we are told not just to run, but to run the race set before us with endurance. And we're going to come back to the endurance part in a little bit. <coughs> but I think the key to doing all of these things that I have mentioned so far, the key to running the race well and running with endurance is the start of verse 2. It says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus, church. And this is why I think that this passage is 
most appropriate the day after Christmas. Um, I spent a long time thinking and praying uh, leading up. You know, what, what, is, what do you preach the day after Christmas? Like, do you preach Christmas? Do you stuff or do you? But really, it's all about Jesus. And I think it's appropriate that we talk about fixing our eyes on Jesus today as we spent, hopefully, the Christmas season celebrating and talking about and rejoicing over the fact that Jesus was born to us and came into the world. At least, I, that, I hope that's what we've been doing this Christmas. Um, I know Christmas can often be about a lot of other things, and not bad things, necessarily. Uh, for a lot of people, Christmas is about family, and God gave us the family, and family's awesome. That's a good gift. Um, Christmas can be about break from school or from work, and that's another good thing. We need rest, and God rested, and he instructed us to rest, so that's, that's a good thing. Christmas can be about giving or receiving gifts. Who gave or received a gift already this year? Probably most of us. Um, and that is another good thing. It's more blessed to give than to receive, but our God is a loving Father who gives good gifts. And giving and receiving are both wonderful. So that's another good thing that happens at Christmas. Um, if you're like me, Christmas can be about good food. God created us to eat and to enjoy the things that he's given us. Um, so it can be about a lot of things, uh, some joyful, some painful, depending on your circumstances. But all those things I just mentioned, um, that's not really what Christmas is about. It's not what Christmas should be about. Those might be parts, um, but it's not what it should be about. And I think that Christmas, at least in the U.S. here, for a lot of people, is busy. It's busy. It's hectic. It can be a little bit crazy. Um, I love Christmas with my family and with my new family since I've been married. Um, we get together at Lars' grandpa's house every year, and there's about 50 people there, and it's a little bit crazy. It's awesome, but it's crazy. And I think what happens over Christmas a lot is our schedules get crazy and hectic. Some of our normal habits and patterns get thrown off. And so we can, without realizing it, end up minimizing Christ while we pursue all that other stuff. But Christmas is supposed to be about Jesus. And so this morning I want us to turn our eyes back to him and fix our eyes on Jesus. Because as a church, we celebrate and we sing and we have a Christmas Eve service like we did the other day. Because we want to celebrate the most wonderful and amazing God who became flesh and dwelt among us. We celebrate God coming to earth and being born as a man and walking among us. Amen. So this morning, the last Sunday of 2021, we're looking at this passage. It's telling us to fix our eyes on Jesus. Not on everything else, but on Jesus. And that, that's a word that we all need to hear all the time. So we're going to look at this a little bit more right now and, and fix our eyes on Jesus. I'm just going to read it again. It says in verse 1, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance, and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. 
So as we're running this race, we want to fix our eyes on Jesus. Um, but you can't physically see Jesus, right? If I look around the room, I can't physically see him standing here. Um, and I'm thinking that none of y'all can either. Uh, so what does it mean then to fix our eyes on Jesus? So again, I'm not a runner. My wife is a runner. But runners, they concentrate on the prize or they concentrate on the finish line. They're thinking about that, and we need to concentrate on Jesus, who is the goal or the objective of our faith. In every situation, an obstacle and difficulty that comes up in the middle of our race. So I mentioned earlier encumbrances, as it says in verse 1, it isn't enough to just get rid of stuff that might distract you. You can, you can purge things from your life. You can do that, um, but that isn't enough. You need to do that and fix your eyes on Jesus, or other stuff just comes in and fills the gap. You get rid of stuff, and if you don't turn your eyes on Jesus and fill that space with him, <coughs> other things just slide right on in to that space. Um, same thing with sins, um, which we'll get to in a moment. But if we don't fix our eyes on Jesus and we're casting off those encumbrances that don't help us run, it's also going to seem like a lot of loss. You give up something and you, you feel that loss. Um, if I decided I'm going to get rid of Netflix because it really doesn't help me run, it's a distraction, it just gets in my way, it's going to feel a little bit like a loss because I've grown accustomed to that and I've grown attached to that. And if your hobby, whatever else you like to spend your free time doing, you decide it doesn't help you run, it gets in your way, and you decide to cut it out of your life, it's going to sting a little bit. You're, you're going to feel the loss of that thing that you've grown accustomed to or grown to love. Um, I don't know what those things are for you. Video games, sports, TV, cars, social media, fishing, hunting, hiking, shopping. There's a lot of different people in here, and I'm sure that's different for each one of us. But when you identify those things and you cut them out, at least at first it's going to feel like a loss unless you fix your eyes on Jesus. Because if we do that and if we really focus on Jesus and we concentrate on him, then as the song says, the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace because Jesus really is so much better than all that other stuff. So, we need to reorient ourselves and fix our eyes on Jesus so that we aren't thinking about loss. We're actually thinking about gain, and we're thinking about what we gain in Jesus because he is so much better. Um, turn to Philippians chapter 3. So in Philippians chapter 3, Paul is talking about all these reasons he has to be proud of who he is and things that are of great value in the eyes of his people, but also things that he's, he's giving up. He says in verse 4, I myself have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I have far more. And he goes on to list all of these things, which to some of us might not seem that important, but it, to him and his people that time definitely were. And he says in verse 7, But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. And more than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, 
for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. Paul says he considers everything else as rubbish compared to knowing Jesus. And so when God calls you to lay aside some of these things that are encumbering you, some of these things that are keeping you from running, it might feel like he's asking a lot. But what we have to gain is so much more because Jesus is so much better than any of that stuff he's asking you to lay aside, to run. And I've read this quote before, but C.S. Lewis puts it this way. He says, Our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. And that's true. We get far too easily pleased in these other things instead of in Jesus, and we need to turn our eyes back to him and fix our eyes on Jesus and not things of this world. Which leads us to the next part of the verse, um, the same idea really, but related to sin. We want to cast off sin for sure. Okay, we, we can all agree as a church, sin is not fitting for believers, right? Amen, it is not fitting for believers. So we are called out of darkness and into the light, and we should not go back to that darkness. And in your struggle against sin, you need to fix your eyes on someone far greater and far sweeter than anything sin can offer, which is Jesus. Because Jesus is so much better than sin, church. So much better. And if you want to wage war against your sin, you can't just cut it out and try to say no on your own. and Just say, mm, no, this is gone. Um, you need to fill that space with Jesus. You have to run after him. You have to spend time in the word and in prayer and surround yourself with your brothers and sisters who can help you. And I think a lot of times people try to just get rid of sin because somebody says it's wrong or the Bible says it's wrong and, and you shouldn't do it. Maybe because they're afraid of potential consequences, but then they don't run to Jesus. It's like, I'm going to stop doing this thing and then I'm just going to stay here. But we are supposed to turn from it and we're supposed to run to Jesus. That's what we need to do. And Jesus is somebody who understands our struggle. Um, if you turn to Hebrews chapter 4, In Hebrews chapter 4, um, we'll just start in verse 12. It says, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him whom we have to do. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace 
so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus was tempted just like you. He can sympathize with whatever weakness, whatever struggle you are having. So when you feel tempted by sin, turn your mind to Jesus. Cry out to Jesus for help. He has been there, and he overcame it. And he can help you overcome as well. He can sympathize with your weakness so much better than anyone else can. So turn to Jesus. It, it's time for you to stop choosing your sin <coughs> over Jesus. Whatever it is, I, I just ask that the Holy Spirit would reveal it to you this morning if you're unaware and help you realize that Jesus is better and it's time to turn from it and to him. You can trust him. You can go to him. We need to fix our eyes on the one who loved us so much, the one who loved you so much that he came to earth and he lived and he suffered and he died for you while you were still sinning against him. The Romans 5.8 says, while we were still sinners. So when you're struggling against sin, think of him. Ponder what Jesus has done for you. In Hebrews chapter 5, it says, In the days of his flesh, he, Jesus, offered up both prayers and supplications with loud cries <coughs> and tears to the one able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his piety. And although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. Church, Jesus felt sorrow and pain just like you, just like us. He felt that sorrow, he felt that pain, and he knows what you're going through. If you're hurting this morning, Jesus understands. He can sympathize with that. When you are grieving and you're dealing with the loss of a loved one, fix your eyes on Jesus. Jesus wept. Jesus cried. He knows the pain of the death of a loved one. Call to Jesus to be your comfort. And when you're tempted to hold on to unforgiveness and bitterness, when you're trapped in the pain that someone else has caused you, hurt by things that have been said or things that have been done, fix your eyes on Jesus because he knows that pain. As, as the ones he was dying to save piled hurt and pain on him. Jesus bore our sins upon himself. So he knows. And you know what? Jesus, in spite of that, he forgives you. So I encourage you this morning, if you've got some, some unforgiveness or bitterness there, to forgive. How can you not forgive others? Holding on to unforgiveness is only going to hurt you. It's only going to poison you. Fix your eyes on Jesus and let it go. Jesus is the one who releases us from our sins. And when you see so much evil and wrongdoing and suffering in the world, which if you look at the news, you see it, um, all the wickedness that tempts you to despair, take your eyes off of that, because too often we spend way too much time focused on that stuff, on all the bad things that are happening in the world. We need to turn our eyes and fix them on Jesus. Fix our eyes on Jesus. Jesus is patient, Jesus is kind, 
Jesus is good. And when you are tempted to despair because of all the things that are going on in your life, you need to fix your eyes on him. Revelation 19 says that his name is faithful and true. Hebrews 6 says that he cannot lie. He cannot be unfaithful. Jesus is the true witness, and he will be faithful to his people. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever, as Hebrews 13 says. So when you fix your eyes on Jesus and you dig into the word, you see more and more of that, and you see more and more of who he is, and you start to know more and more that you can trust him. When you fix our eyes on him instead of all the other stuff that's going on. It's kind of like when um, it was Peter walking out on water, right? This is in my notes. But he started walking out on water, and he kept his eyes on Jesus, and he was good. And he looked at the waves, and he wasn't. And that's how we can be. We've got this stuff going on, and instead of fixing our eyes on Jesus, we fix our eyes on the stuff, and we lose faith. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus. Revelation also says that Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It says that Jesus has all wisdom and power and authority. So why fix your eyes on people here on the earth? Church, does the media have all wisdom and power and authority? No. Does the government have all wisdom and power and authority? They think they do. Does the CDC have all wisdom and power and authority? Is the president the king of kings and lord of lords? Certainly not. He is not. Does a virus have authority over life and death? No. Does Satan have authority over life and death? He does not. And yet, so often we let fear creep into our lives. And I believe a part of that is because we have taken our eyes off of the one who does have all wisdom and power and authority. You've taken our eyes off of Jesus, and we've been captivated by other things of this age. So we need to stop, and we need to turn, and we need to fix our eyes on the one who does have all power and all authority, and the one who has power over life and death, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, King Jesus. So don't let encumbrance or sins or the media, or the government, or a virus, or persecution keep you from running the race that Christ has called you to run. He who called you is faithful. He will be faithful. Fix your eyes on him. Lay that stuff aside. Surround yourselves with a great cloud of witnesses. Fix your eyes on Jesus and run the race that he has set before you. The believers here in this passage in in Hebrews 12, they were tempted to stop running because of persecution because of sins, because of encumbrances. These things tempted them to stop running just like they tempt us to stop running. And the writer of Hebrews tells them to fix their eyes on Jesus. He calls us to fix our eyes on Jesus. Jesus is the author of our faith. Our faith is all about him, and it started with him. Jesus is the goal and the objective of our faith. So we want to know him more, we want to bring him glory, and we want to enjoy him forever. And Jesus is the start and the end of our race. He's the one who has already run the race and overcome. He went to the cross. He endured painful torture 
terrible mocking and a violent and vicious death, but he did not turn away, and neither should we. When you are tempted to turn away and to run to other things or other people, look to Christ instead, church. Verse 3 says we are to consider him who endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. This is where I want to come back to the running with endurance part. Um, Some people in this room have been running this race for just a little while. And maybe you're feeling energized. You've got some contagious joy and passion for the Lord that you get as a a new believer. And that's awesome. But it is a long-distance race. None of us knows exactly when our race is going to end. But you can't take off for a marathon with no thoughts of water or fuel. So if you're a young believer here, I encourage you to make sure you feed yourself so that you can run with endurance and not run out of energy. you got to make sure you hydrate yourself so you don't collapse before you hit the finish line. And um, when we talk about that great cloud of witnesses, for younger believers especially, um, you need to feed on the Word of God and spend time in prayer, but you've also got to look to those who have been running longer than you for help with humility. Humility. To receive what is given to you. I've got news for you. I have been learning this a lot the past 15 or so years of my life. A lot of older people actually do know better than you. The older you get, the more you will realize this. So I encourage you, young people, don't let pride knock you out of the race. Um, there's a pop- I don't know if it's still popular. There was a popular saying uh, not that long ago that I thought was really disrespectful that people would use. I think it was like, okay, boomer, or something like that, um, to kind of dismiss a lot of things older people would say. And I'm not saying that just because you're older, you're wise or you're right. There's a lot of people that are older that are wrong <laughs> and not wise. Um, maybe prideful, foolish, or just plain wrong. But there is a wisdom that comes with age, and especially a wisdom that comes with walking with Christ for a long time. That as young people, um, young people can often dismiss. So I encourage you not to be one of those young people, uh, not to be one who thinks you know better than those who are older than you, because that kind of pride will hurt you. And to you who are a little bit more seasoned, um, your race is not over. Okay, your race is not over. If you're in this room right now, if you're watching online, if you're if you're drawing breath, your race is not over. And I've read about and I've seen too many people in my short time here seemingly stop running altogether. Don't do that. You have a race left to run. God has given you talents. He's given you gifts. He's given you uh, abilities and wisdom to keep using for his glory. God has still called you to holiness and to purity And he has called you to serve his church and his people. He has called you to use the gifts that he has given you. He's called you to disciple others and to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. So you might be tired, but you're not done. You're not done yet. Not by any stretch. So hear me please, don't retire. There is no retirement 
from serving the Lord. There's no retirement from the race he's called you to run. You might retire from your vocation, and if you can, praise the Lord that he's allowed you to do that. That is awesome. But your race isn't done. You still have a ways to go, and you have wisdom and experience that uh, God has given you to pour out to others. Till he returns or calls you home, he has called you to run the race. And I want to take just a moment here to say to anyone who hasn't entered that race yet, if you have not trusted in Christ for your salvation, I mentioned earlier that it, it might seem like a loss to say no to sin. It might seem like a loss to say no to these things that you cherish and are called to let go of, but I promise it is not. Jesus is so much better than any of that stuff you're holding on to and anything the world has to offer. And Jesus loved you so much that he endured a death on a cross for you. And I encourage you this morning to forsake your sin and turn to him because Jesus is more than worth it. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. That's what Romans says. It is with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And it is with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everything and everyone else is going to end up disappointing you. And everything else is going to fail you at some point, And you will fail yourself. You will fail yourself. Sin might be sweet for a time, but it leads to death in the end. So I encourage you this morning, if you have not, forsake it and trust in Jesus because he will never fail you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And he freely offers you salvation from your sins. So um, as we move to closing here, a final encouragement to everyone. Simply run the race. Okay, run the race, church. It's our theme for this next year and my encouragement for you this morning. And if you want to run the race well and you want to run with endurance, you can't be entangled in sin. If you want to run it well, you can't live encumbered by a bunch of things distracting you that are going to keep you from, from being able to run well. And if you want to run well, you can't live apart from the body. And apart from God's word, you need to make those things priorities in your life. And if we want to run this race, we must, church, we must fix our eyes on Jesus, not on good works, not on other things, not on each other. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus. Think of what he has done for you. Think of him in whatever situation you're faced with. You, we are all in different situations, faced with different things this morning. Turn your eyes to Jesus. Don't dwell on anger. Don't dwell on pride. Don't dwell on selfishness, hurt, or pain, or anything else. Turn your thoughts to him and run after him. My encouragement to you, church, is to run. Don't sit on the sidelines. It's not a place for believers. Believers don't just get to sit down and say, we're not running anymore. Um, we are called to run the race. And if you haven't been running, it's time to get back up. And it's time to run. And if you've been trying to run while you've been weighed down and entangled, it's time to cast it off so that you can run well and see Jesus clearly. And if you need help, it's what we're here for. As a church, your brothers and your sisters, we are here to help you do that. 
So Laura's going to come back up, and we're going to sing a couple of songs together in just a moment. But church, saturate yourself in the Gospels and in the Word so that you can see Jesus. Repent of your sin and flee from it so that you can see Jesus. Throw off unnecessary things so that you can see Jesus. And surround yourselves with your brothers and sisters. Fix your eyes on Jesus. If you'd stand, we're going to sing together. Lord, as we sing, may the word that you've spoken this morning in Hebrews sink deep into our hearts. Turn our eyes to you, Jesus, and away from all these other things. We want to we wanna run this race well, so help us to fix our eyes on you. Amen.